0: All right, well, this time I'll go ahead and invite you to open your hearts, prepare your hearts for the reading of God's word this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 15, and I'll invite Josh here to read the scriptures for us.
1: I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit.
2: Uh, Good morning, church family. How are we? You guys good? It's good to see you. Uh, My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, welcome. Glad to have you. Uh, And if you're new, uh, you may not realize we ended up having to, like many churches, uh, cancel services last week because the Edmonds School District actually shut down all their facilities for the weekend, so this wasn't even open to us. Uh, I'm from Alaska originally, so I've just been living in a perpetual state of eye-rolling this whole week. Like, ah, come on, let's go, let's go. But uh, glad everyone was able to uh, be safe. There was a small group of us kind of gathered together at the church offices, and we sang, and we prayed together and celebrated the Lord's table. But it feels good to be able to gather back together like this on a Sunday morning to worship. Uh, We're going through the Gospel of John. We're in this section of John's Gospel called the, the Upper Room Discourse, where Jesus and his disciples disciples are just having a conversation, and Jesus is teaching uh, the night of his betrayal, the night of his arrest, the night before he goes to the cross to die in our place for our sins, and uh, we're kind of going thematically through this section, because there's all these themes that kind of just keep coming up, keep coming up, and today we're talking about this theme, this idea of abiding in Christ, and and the vine and the branches, and uh, actually, I was ready to go last week. I even had a different sermon slide, a title slide, prepared for for last week, if we had met Um, I was ready. There's branches. There's snow. Let's do this. But uh, instead, what you have today is two Sundays worth of preaching energy balled up within me. And so just buckle your seatbelts. Let's pray before we do anything else. Amen. God, I ask for your help. I want to be able to communicate that which is truthful According to your word, I want to communicate that which is helpful and builds us up in Christ Jesus. And God, I pray that you would uh, send your Holy Spirit to be present with us now. The, the Spirit that you, you inspired these words to be written and you've recorded them for us to hear so many years later. Uh, God, I pray that you would uh, just bring these words to life in our hearts and in our minds now and that we would all have teachable hearts, hearts that are drawn into closer and deeper relationship with you. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Well, the Bible is the Bible is just a fascinating book. And one of the reasons why the Bible is so fascinating is all of the different imagery that is used. You know, there's story, there's uh, law, there's visions, there's prophecy. There's all these different types of literature in the Bible and kind of throughout, interwoven throughout, is all of this language of imagery. And John's gospel is full of that type of imagery. In fact, today is the seventh of these I am statements that Jesus has made. You guys remember these statements as we've gone through the gospel of John? Jesus said things like, I am the bread of life. So with all due respect to our paleo friends, Jesus is the bread of life that satisfies you and makes you oh so happy, right? Uh, He says, I am the light of the world, and you know, we got here early this morning to load the equipment in and the setup team was all here. And it was the first time in months that as I parked my car and I was walking in, I was like, oh, it's a little bit light out right now. It feels good, doesn't it? So Jesus is saying, I'm the, I'm the light. I bring that, that sense of, of uh, bringing light out of darkness, the warmth, the, the understanding. He says, I'm the door for the sheep. He says, I'm not only the door for the sheep, I am the good shepherd that Jesus cares for his people the way that a good shepherd cares for their flock. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And that one's not so much metaphor as just a straight up claim that I'm powerful over even death itself. Amen. So that's pretty good. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life and that word for way, it's actually a road. It's a path that we're all on the journey of life. And and you remember that from a few weeks ago when we talked about that, that he's the way, he's the pathway to be with God. But as I started studying this out the last two weeks, of all of the metaphors, of all the imagery that Jesus uses in these I am statements, there is perhaps no more deeply embedded metaphor or imagery in the scriptures than that of the vine. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, this might be the one that is the most commonly and the most deeply woven and used throughout the entirety of the Bible. And so if you'll indulge me for just a moment, I want to read the entire Bible to you and prove No, I want to kind of do some, I want to show you. I want to show you. Yeah, so, we'll be here for a while, you guys. Uh, let me take you back to the very, very uh, first pages of the book, very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. Maybe you're familiar with Genesis 1. He spoke and created light, he, you know, separated the light from dark, the, the dry land from the sea. But Genesis 2, maybe it doesn't get quite as much attention, but look at the imagery and the, and, the, and the language used for God himself right on the very first page of the Bible. At that time, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. No shrub of the field had not yet grown on the land and no plant of the field had yet sprouted for the Lord God had not yet made it rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground, but mist would come up from the earth and water all the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and the man became a living being. What a remarkable thing that we are uh, filled with with God's very breath and yet we are made from the dirt. That ought to simultaneously make us feel uh, pretty thankful and pretty humble. But here's the point I want to make here. Verse 8, "'The Lord God planted a garden.'" So God's been speaking, God's been doing, God creates the man, and then what does he do? You know what I'm into? Gardening. How many of you here are, are gardeners? Anybody, you know, grow fruits, vegetables, do garden? A good handful of you? I, Not me. Uh, I can't keep a plant alive to save my life. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The word there is almost like there he planted him, like, you're going to be in my garden, man. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree. And listen to this, pleasing in appearance. How many of the more artistically minded people like verses and phrases like that in the scripture? Pleasing in appearance that God made a garden that's just stinking beautiful to look at. And that is good for food. So he's providing for them. It's delicious. It's, it's healthy. It's, it's everything that mankind could need, practically and aesthetically. And it says that uh, there was, uh, in the middle of the garden, the tree of life, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and a river, went out from Eden to water the garden, not like the puddles of slush that we're dealing with right now, like good water and and these beautiful flowing rivers. And from there it divided and became the source of four rivers. The first is named Pishon, which flows through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. And gold from that land, by the way, just so you know, right here at the beginning of the Bible, just make sure you know, the gold is pure. And there's bedillium and onyx are also there. So there's like beautiful, valuable treasures and gems. The name of the second river is Gihon, which flows through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which runs east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Like it's kind of boxed in this perfect area that God's doing. Not only is he planting a garden, but he's doing landscaping. And he's putting in, you know, water uh, features, uh, you could call them, to, to make this beautiful, amazing garden. Do you ever think of God in those terms? Just right out of the gate, right out of the very beginning, God speaks, God creates, God orders, and then he gardens. Now, humanity, as represented by Adam, was invited into this process of gardening alongside God. What does God say to Adam? Adam Adam, being representative of all of humanity, Adam and Eve, the, our first parents, God says to Adam, be what? What is the word that God uses? Be what? fruitful be fruitful and multiply that word's no accident so we're sticking with the garden metaphor be fruitful and multiply what do adam and eve do they listen to the voice of the serpent they believe the lie that somehow god is holding out on them and they take and they eat the the tree that they were the one tree that they were commanded not to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and so as of that, there is punishment. There's a curse that comes because of their sin and because of their rebellion. And the curse is multi-layered. It's multifaceted. There's a curse against the serpent. There's a curse upon the woman. And the curse on the man, what does God say to the man? God says, well, now your work is going to be really tough. And you're going to eat bread by the sweat of your brow. And instead of producing every tree that is beautiful in appearance and good for food, what does God say the ground is going to produce now? Thorns. And thistles, So God invited humanity into the process and the, and the work of gardening the world, being fruitful, subduing, cultivating, all of that language. You keep reading through the story and you see that things are not going very well. Humanity is, is quite messed up. You get to the story of Noah. And God makes a declaration. You know what? Humanity is corrupt. They're not joining with me in this work of the garden. They're not a fruitful vine that I planted in the garden. So I'm going to, in essence, push the reset button. And I'm going to start over with a new humanity. And when you read the story of Noah, it is remarkable how many things that God says to Noah that parallel what God said and did with Adam and Eve in the very beginning, even to the point of literally saying to Noah, be fruitful and multiply. That commandment was given. You read on literally like three or four verses later, it says, Noah became a man of the soil. Yay. And he planted a vineyard. And we're like, good. He's going to start gardening along with God. And he made wine and got plastered and passed out naked in his tent. And then everything just like goes to pot because of that. Like seriously. So, okay. Humanity is, is not working. This reduced new humanity. No, you keep reading. God grabs a hold of a guy named Abraham. Says, Abraham i 'm going to use you and your descendants you 're going to have you 're going to have so many descendants you're you're, you''re you're going to be an ethnic group that is holy unto me and i 'm going to use you to to cultivate the earth and to bring my blessings to all of the earth well, how'd Abraham do yeah, uh, uh, mixed bag okay uh, there's admirable traits things to uh, uh, follow things to learn from but Oh, and then there's that whole thing where well, I just am not quite patient for the promises of God. So I'm going to have a child with my maidservant, Hagar, and that whole Ishmael, Isaac thing. Like, we're still dealing with the repercussions of that in the Middle East to this day. So, okay, so not humanity, going to join with God. Well, how about a new reduced humanity? No, okay, how about an ethnic group? That's ah, not going so well. How about a new nation named Israel? God. God takes the 12 tribes of Israel. They've been in Egypt. They're in slavery. And God says, I am the Lord, your God, and I'm going to pull you out of slavery. And I'm going to plant you in the promised land. And in fact, the Bible uses that very language about Israel, uses it in multiple places, but you can see it really clearly in Psalm 80, where the psalmist says, you brought a vine out of Egypt and you drove out the nations and you planted it. You cleared the ground for it and it took deep root and filled the land. So Israel, Israel's going to be the vine. Israel's going to be the the one that participates with God in the fruitfulness and the cultivation of the earth, right? How'd Israel do, guys? Hmm. They had not even made it through the desert yet before God's like, seriously, I'm wiping them out. I'm starting over with just Moses. In fact, I'm right now. How many of you were here when we went through the book of Judges? Anybody remember the book of Judges? I just last week finished reading through the book of Judges and kind of my, my personal Bible reading. And I finished the book of Judges. I'm like, why in the earth did I want to preach through that book? It is dark. It is bleak. The nation of Israel did not do particularly well. So you keep reading and God grabs a hold of a guy named David and says, David, it's you and your family. I'm going to use your family. It's going to be the the family line of David, the David, the son of Jesse. And I'm going to use your family and and your family will bring righteousness to the earth and it's going to be your family. So it's not a humanity. It's not a reduced humanity. It's not an ethnic group. It's not a nation. It's just one single family. Hey friends, how did the family of David do? I mean, you know the answer to this now, right? Civil war, the nation splits, wicked king after wicked king after wicked king until you get to the part of the story where the prophets show up and the prophets are like one dude, one single Messiah, one anointed one, one king who's going to be a descendant of David, who's going to be part of the nation of Israel, of the, of the, the tribe of Judah, who's going to be descended from Abraham, who will be the new Noah, who will be the new Adam, but it's gonna be one. Do you see the way that the the story of the Bible just keeps whittling it down? Isn't that fascinating? In fact, you get to the prophets and they say things like this. Jeremiah says this, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Isn't it interesting that this Messiah is called a branch? And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. But maybe even more to the point, I love the way the prophet Isaiah says it. He says, there shall come forth A shoot. It's like a little, little shoot, right, from the stump of Jesse. Supposed to be this great, glorious tree. Supposed to be this great vineyard. It's a stump, but one little shoot shall come from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. You get to Jesus in John 15 verse 1 and Jesus says, I am the true vine. This is not just some cute metaphor that Jesus came up with to help us uh, be able for preachers like me to say you need to read your Bible and pray more. This is the entire storyline of the Bible, dynamite packed in, TNT condensed in the life and the person and the work of Jesus. This passage is about Jesus. And this is important for us for two reasons. Number one, I think it's important for us to understand the sweep and the storyline of the Bible so that, so that Jesus even makes sense. But number two, I'm not joking when I say that most of the time that I hear this passage spoken about, preached on, or taught, it basically boils down to something like, you need to read your Bible more, you need to pray more, you need to do more uh, worship services, you need to do more, you need to do more. It's not about you. This is about Jesus and his claims to being the true Israel, the true son of David, the true Adam. This is about God's redemptive work breaking into human history. Now, it does have applications for you and I. It has implications for us. Yes, we should read our Bible and pray more. Okay, can we just get that out of the way right now? But this is not fundamentally about you and I. When you understand the context, you read the Bible a little bit differently. I am the true vine, and my father is still the gardener. My father is still the vine dresser. This is about God's work in the world, creating a universe, creating a cosmos, creating a world where his glory and his goodness can be made known. This is a story and a passage about Jesus. Verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that, he do, that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you there's some really fascinating things happening with the Greek here. I don't want to bore you with all of that. But when he says, takes away and prunes and clean, those are all three related words in the Greek language that the New Testament was written in. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm speaking to those of you who are Christians. I'm speaking to those of you who have been made clean. You've trusted in me. You've heard my words. You've believed that I am the Messiah. You've believed that I am the Son of God. And by believing, you've been made clean. You're connected. You're abiding. You're plugged in. Okay? So this section right here is spoken to those who are already believers. If you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, we love you. Welcome. We're glad you're here. I need you to hear what Jesus says to his people. And he illustrates this by saying there's two different types of branches. There are those that are alive and fruitful and connected, and there are those that are dead and dried up and not filled with life. So two different types of branches. You tracking with me so far? But both types of branches undergo a shared experience. And what is that? Pruning. The pruning shears. I, uh, to be stuck at home for a few days. Like, like I said, I'm not a gardener, but um, I decided to make myself an expert this last week, and so I watched some videos from the internet. Uh, and so I feel like I'm a professional ar- arbor, arbor, what is it, whatever it's called, right? That's what I am. Uh, I have some trees, and I you know take care of things, but th- when I was watching some of these videos and just learning a little bit about it so I could understand the metaphor, the idea being there are some branches that are just dead and dying, and you gotta cut them off right at the root. Where they connect into the main trunk of the tree, you got to cut them off because if not, then there's a drain on the whole tree and, and the whole tree suffers for it. But there are good and healthy branches that are growing, they're bearing fruit, they're, they're filled with life, but they have mm, some parts of them that just, you know, kind of need to get taken away. Not the healthiest, not the strongest part. Let me ask you this question, friends. Do any of you have parts of your life that you look at and you say, huh, that's still hanging around, huh? Anybody have parts of your life like, yeah, I'm not particularly proud of that. Oh, that's, that's not very healthy. That's not very good. Anybody tracking with me here today? So if Jesus is telling the truth, and I think he is, then part of being connected to him means that you will undergo the, the pruning shears of the master vine dresser. You will experience moments in your life where you say, ow, that hurts. But it's because God loves you. And he knows that those things, those parts of you, are not ultimately for your good. But I say this to you, dear Christians, because sometimes when we experience the sharpness of a season of pruning, I see this in the life of people all the time where we're prone to mistake the loving discipline of the Lord as being cut off from the Lord. Two very different types of cutting. I wish this was just theoretical, but for me as a pastor, it is not. I cannot tell you how many times I have sat with somebody in my office or out in the lobby or at a coffee shop, and they've they've seen some like just really ugly part of their heart, some real ugly part of their soul. And and they're like, man, I'm I'm feeling the sharpness and God's doing this cutting. And then they say something to me like, I'm probably just one of those cut off dead branches that's going to be destined for destruction. Friends, no, you are not. If you are in Christ, you have already been made clean. You have already been made connected. You've already been purified. You've already been washed. Yes, each and every single one of us have areas of our life that are just ugly and not healthy. But please don't mistake the loving, pruning discipline of the Lord for that of being cut off from Christ. Is there any other fruit in your life? Are there good things that you see God doing? Are there other people? Are there other branches around you in the tree who can look and say, no, you're, you're connected, you're clean. You're growing. I just had this conversation like a week ago with someone. Don't mistake the discipline of the Lord as a loss of salvation or a lack of God's love. Verse four. Abide in me and... I in you. Oh, that's, that's interesting. It's this mutual abiding. By the way, abiding, I should have said this at the beginning, but that's one of those like real churchy sort of words, isn't it? It's like you go to church, you expect to hear the word abide. You've never been like at work and like, Hey, what are your plans for the weekend? I'm just going to abide with my family. Like that's weirdo. Like, right. I mean, maybe you do more power to you. I'm not trying to judge, but that's a little strange, right? It just means like being together, living together, spending time together, face-to-face, voice and and, and touch and all of those things that's part of human experience that can only be a little bit simulated with digital technology, but like real abiding. But you abide in me and I abide in you. I love that. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine and neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus is just making sure we've got the metaphor straight. He's the one that provides the life. We're the ones that need to be connected to him. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it's it's he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do how many things, church? No things. You can do no of the things. Not, well, less than you would be able to, or you can do, you know, eh, just not as much as you, no, it's, it's nothing. Nothing of real, true, lasting value can be done apart from Christ. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. I want to pause here for a moment. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? I think the answer that John is, is telling us is that the reason why Jesus came is so that God and man could be together. The point is so simple and yet so profound. Don't miss it. It's this. God wants to be with his people. And people were made to be with God. It's as simple and straightforward as that. Go all the way back. Again, go back to the very beginning, the Garden of Eden. What do we see in the garden? God is walking with humanity. I came across a couple of really fascinating articles. I'll link them up on the website if you want to look them up, where it describes Eden as the first temple. And the temple or the tabernacle was this picture of Eden. And and the tabernacle is where God and man met together after man was expelled from the garden. But think about between the garden and the tabernacle. uh, What's in the middle? Oh, in the middle of the garden is a tree of life. What's in the middle of the tabernacle, the temple? Oh, a big uh, candle that's shaped like a tree. What direction is the entrance of the temple? Faces the east. What direction is the entrance to the Garden of Eden? Faces the east. There's what is the tabernacle of the temple decorated with? Gold and sapphire and stones and gems. What was it just we read in in Genesis 2 that, that Eden was decorated with? There's all these parallels. The point being God is with his people. So after the fall from Eden, the tabernacle or the temple is where God meets with his people. If You remember back a year and a half ago when we started the gospel of John, right at the beginning, it says that Jesus, the word, the the, the divine logos of God took on flesh and dwelt among us. The word for dwelt, it's the same word as tabernacle, that the whole reason why Jesus came is to be with us, to abide with us and, and, and us to abide with him. By the way, well, fast forward to the end of the book. What's the picture that John gives us in his apocalypse, in his revelation? What does John say? Oh, there's a new creation, a new heavens, and a new earth. What is the picture? It's a garden city. The city descends from heaven and and the voice cries out, the dwelling place of God will be with man. And there's a city and there's a throne and what is flowing out from under the throne? A river. And what stands on either side of the river? Trees and and, and the tree of life and the, the leaves are given for the healing of the nation. You guys, this garden stuff, we could just spend all day continuing to go through it. But the point is that God desires to be with his people. You need to hear that because sometimes the, the, the Christian faith, it can be this thing like, well, here we are and we're just kind of stuck in this predicament and this is what's going on and if you just, you know, say you're sorry and repent and then you can just get to be with God. But it's not like that. It's not some cold transactional thing. It's not like applying for a, you know, debt forgiveness program from some impersonal bank in, you know, Syracuse or wherever. This is God, the gardener. Saying, "Come, enjoy my good creation. Come, be with me." And when you hear language from Jesus about the branches that don't bear fruit get cut off and thrown into the fire, what Jesus is saying is there is a very real warning that if we do not uh, abide with Him, if we're not connected to Him, that our ultimate end is death. Our ultimate end is destruction. If a branch is cut out, I have some branches. Left over when I I painted my house last summer. I'm still dealing with the PTSD of that, and I had to cut some branches away from the house to make room for that. They're still laying in my yard. You know what they're good for? Nothing. They're they're not good for anything. And you could hear Jesus say this with this like finger-wagging threat. Hey, you better stay abider. I'm gonna cut you off and throw you into the fire. You could you could hear him saying, listen, let's abide together. And if you don't, you don't get life. You're disconnected from the source of power. You're disconnected from the source of life. Come, plug in with me. Let's go. I have eternal life for you. That's the central metaphor that John is working with all throughout his gospel. He, he frames the problem as that we've been disconnected from the source of life and we need to get reconnected. They use the agricultural metaphor, the, the branch being connected in. I've used the, the silly analogy of your, you know, your phone when you unplug it in the morning. It's just draining and dying all day long. I think my cord went bad because my phone actually was not charged this morning. So the Lord was giving me like a direct object lesson here. Like, huh, phone's gonna die. The point being is Jesus is where life is and he wants to share that with us. You abide in me, I'll abide in you. Let's be together. Verse eight, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Isn't that good to know? Our works, our fruit, our, our growth, those things, that's not what causes us to be disciples. That's just evidence. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone, not of works, amen? But the works and the fruit and that, and that comes as a result of being plugged in and being connected to Jesus. Jumping down to verse 10, if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Uh, by the way, there's another sermon coming up about this whole idea of like love and obedience. Cause throughout this upper room discourse, it comes up a bunch of times. Here's the point I want to make. We're going to bear fruit. Sometimes it takes a while to see it again. As I was going through YouTube and becoming an expert on trees this week, um, one of the things they were talking about is they would take these branches and you could, you could take the branch and you could graft them into a tree and you could do it all right. And you have just like, there's tree tape. Did you guys know that there's tree tape? I didn't know there was tree tape. I would have probably used like electrical tape, but they uh, have tree tape and use. And then they say it takes like two, three, four years before you finally actually see the, the fruit and the growth on, on the branches that you've grafted in. Let me just humbly submit to you that maybe we in our culture are a little bit less patient than other cultures in other parts of the world. Anybody can understand? Jesus uses this metaphor about, you know, you're going to prove that you're my disciples by bearing fruit. And, and for me, when I'm at my worst, it's like, fruit? I want it now. Microwave that growth. Let's go. <laughs> hurry, hurry. Amazon, what? It's taking me three days to deliver my thing? Ah, right? It's just getting worse, you guys. And yet, Jesus is speaking here from an agricultural uh, uh, standpoint, uh, an agrarian society, they would know. Yeah, it just takes a while to see. Have you ever wished you could see growth in your own life faster? Have you ever wished you could see growth in your coworker's life faster, or your spouse, or your children? I think that God is more patient than we are. But notice that Jesus says, You're going to obey my commandments. If you're going to graft a branch in, again, you guys, I'm I'm feeling really confident with all these uh, things I learned from YouTube, but if you graft a branch in, you can't just like, you know, use a skill saw, just like kind of glue, like some Elmer's glue and some duct tape or whatever. Like you have to do things a certain way. You have to cut the branch off at the right time. You have to cut it off at this per, you know, particular spot where the nub is. You have to you know, like basically file it down to a, like a wedge and then you cut a slit in the, in the thing you stick it in and you have to do that and you have to do it at the right time. And by the way, the branch has to be pointing in the right direction or else it won't work. Like it just won't work. Jesus is saying, I'm offering you life. I'm giving you life abundant. I'm giving you everything, but it's going to be on my terms, not on yours. Again, our culture is a very self-directed culture. I can do anything I want. I can act any way I want to. Man is the measure of all things, basically, is kind of where we landed now in our culture. And Jesus said, no, it's not going to work that way with me. I'm offering you literally everything. Life, life abundantly, love, joy, uh, eternal life, all that. But it's going to be on my terms. So when it comes to this abiding, can we just at least say, we need to take Jesus up on his offer on his terms, not tell Jesus, "Here's how I'm going to abide with you." Now, don't don't hear what I'm not saying. We're all individuals. You're a different branch than I am. You're a different you bear a different you're a different type of fruit than I am, right? We're all different. And that's part of the beauty of this tree that we're grafted in. Again, I I, I learned that you can graft all sorts of different types of fruits together on the same tree. Somebody already know this, but it was astonishing to me that you can take different types of apples and pears and cherries and grow them all from some weird X-Men mutant tree, okay? And I thought that was cool. I'm like, I want one. I'm almost tempted to plant a tree, Uh, but I'm not gonna because I will probably kill it. But this idea that you can have this tree and if you, graft all these different branches in guess what the tree is stronger did you know that like it's more resistant to different types of diseases and it's different trees bring different strengths and there are different pests that they're more resistant to or cold that they're more resistant to and did you know that certain trees only produce fruits during certain times of the year but if you have all these different branches glued into one tree you could have a tree that's producing fruit all year round and i thought what a cool picture for the body of christ Cause there are times where you're not producing fruit and I am. And there's times where I'm being a fruit and you're not, you know, it's like we, we can, we can have this like joint strength. We're better being grafted in together. We all are different and we all bring those different gifts and strengths and weaknesses to the table. But at the end of the day, it's on Jesus terms, not ours. Amen. Now, if you notice, as we've been going through I skipped over a few verses because I want to highlight them all together. As we're going through, Jesus highlights some benefits of abiding. If we really abide in him, there's some good things that come our way. Let me share them with you real briefly. Verse seven, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In verse nine, he says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. So you should abide in my love. And in verse 11, he says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Three just beautiful benefits to this. The first one is in verse seven, answered prayer. If you abide in my words, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, this is also going to be another thematic sermon because all the way throughout this upper room, he keeps talking about asking, receiving prayer. So we're gonna do that in just a few more weeks. But let me just simply say right here that one of the benefits of abiding in Christ is answered prayer. Why? Because you're doing such a good job abiding that now God likes you more and wants to answer your prayer? Not necessarily. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you're feeding on the words of Jesus. You're reading the scriptures. You're being transformed by his words and his thoughts. And then you open your mouth to pray. What's going to come out? His words. Sometimes our prayers are not answered, the book of James tells us, because we're just praying for all this selfish, wrong stuff. We're filled with our own thoughts, our own words, our own desires. Jesus is saying, hey, you hang with me. You abide with me. You let, let my words fill you up. You're gonna open your mouth to pray and what's gonna come out are the kinds of prayers that God loves to say yes to. Isn't that cool? Verse nine, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Holy smokes! The love that the Father has for the Son, the perfect Trinitarian pre-universe love that exists within the persons of the Godhead has now been made available to us in Jesus Christ. Whoa! Like we can't even grasp that and yet how many of the problems that we face in our life is because we're running around trying to get love, looking for love in all the wrong places, right? How many of us we're, we're trying to, to squeeze love out of a romantic partner or an unhealthy relationship or by clicking on that website or by... Uh, squeezing the love of our children out of them and being fulfilled because our kids love us back. Whatever it might be for any one of us, how many problems do we encounter because we're not taking Jesus up on his offer of the perfect love that the Father has for the Son is now available to us in Christ Jesus? Man! Love. How many many songs... Do we need about love? I mean, John Lennon got it right accidentally. All you need is love. Yeah, the love of God. And yet, so much devastation, so much brokenness is because we're running after love. It doesn't leave us satisfied. And then even more, as if that wasn't enough, answered prayer, the love of God, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Hey, quick question. Anybody here could use some joy? Anybody here need some joy? Anybody here needs some joy? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Like, like, that's what I'm talking about, right? Like, <laughs> in the first service, there was a little kid sitting in here with his parents, and he shouted out really loud, nope. I was like, wow, <laughs> what's it like to have, be filled with all joy? <laughs> The parents would have been embarrassed, but they're the kind of parents that raise the kids that shout out those kinds of things. It was delightful. It made me so happy. We all could use some more joy. We all could use a smile on our face. We all could use a gladness of the heart. We all could use some brightness in our countenance. We all could use the joy, again, that belongs to God himself. Jesus says, my joy, the joy that he possesses. How many of you know that God and our Savior Christ Jesus, they're full of joy. And they want to share that joy with us. Even when circumstances are tough, even when you're going through a season of pruning, you can have a smile in your heart because you know that God loves you and you're secure in him. How good is that? So I leave you with this question. Are you abiding? For those of you here today who are not connected to Jesus, you're not a believer in Jesus, You might think of yourself, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those dead branches kind of lying there on the ground. Here, here's, my, here's my challenge to you. Don't think of yourself as one of those dead branches. Think of yourself as one of those branches that needs to be grafted in because no matter how dead you are, there's one thing I know about our Savior. He's really good at bringing dead things back to life. If he rose from the grave, who's to say he can't plug you back in and give you life? For those of you who are believers, yeah, obviously, spend time with Jesus for crying out loud. The application of this sermon is really easy. Like, the point, that's not the point. The point is the work of Jesus in the earth. But yeah, read the scriptures. Pray, abide with him. His love, his joy, the, the, the ability to hear your prayers. And even more Specifically, are you abiding? Are you persevering through those seasons of pruning? What hardships are you walking through? Where is Jesus showing? Yeah, that's that's gotta go. That's not gonna be part of your life anymore. That needs to be removed. That needs to be cut off. You say, Jesus, I'm gonna abide in you. Don't shrink back. Don't pull back. Don't run away. Press in. God, I ask that you'd help us to abide in you you'd remind us that the work of abiding has already been done by you. You've done everything. Jesus, through your death on the cross and your resurrection, you've done everything to make it possible for us to abide in you. God, would you forgive us for those times where we're just not aware of how close and how present you are. And God, I ask that you would Draw us by your spirit, even now as we enter into a time of celebrating the Lord's table and as we come before you to sing some more songs, God, would you help us to be reminded of just how close you are and just how present you are. We pray these things in the name of our true vine, Jesus. We're going to welcome our younger students class in to, to join us. I'm going to hand it off to Pastor Jamin to lead us in a time of communion. Take it away, brother.
0: Thanks, Pastor Aaron. I love the metaphor um, of us being the vine and our heavenly Father, the vine maker, and just thinking about abiding in him, how in his love he prunes us in his love he invites us to trust in him so we can bear fruit, but despite that we still we still turn to sin when he's pruning us, we turn to sin, we neglect. To rely on him and turn to him when, when for bearing fruit, thinking we can rely on ourselves. And just thinking and reflecting that the the God of the universe that made the mountains and the seas and the ocean, he cares about us, and he's asking us to abide in him, and we turn to ourselves and sin. That's serious, that's grievous. And and we need to not lose sight of that. But at the same at the same time, we get to not lose sight of, we get to celebrate that he forgives us, that he loves us, that his, he died on the cross for this sin, and he warmsly invites us to repentance, to reconciliation, and, to, and to, to truly abide in him. As I transition to the Lord's Supper, I'm going to read from First from Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread... of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You should have received the elements when you came into the auditorium. Go ahead and partake in that and pray, and then after that stand and sing with us.